it, it's hard to describe sort of the efforts that have gone into uh, from the players' side, from the league side, from the club side, medical staffs, all the different, um, all the different areas in this building have been touched by uh, this whole process. An extraordinary, extraordinary effort to get us where we are today, which is on track for hopefully a game um, in about a month. These rookies, just from a small sample size, seem like they're thrilled to be here, they're eager to learn, and they're just a really like happy-go-lucky, entertaining group of players. But yeah, no peanut butter. Well, can I get Even, a tub of peanut butter, a prepackaged tub of peanut butter? Uh, it's not up running and no orange juice oh my god the orange why juice am i machine. even coming in why am i even coming in <laughs> welcome into the lounge we're recording this at 8 41 a.m this is a little early for us garrett i, got I haven't even had coffee. my morning coffee yet have you had your coffee yet I, i've got my i you know what i already actually chugged mine i finished it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah if if my energy is a little bit low, it's because I haven't finished my cup yet. I had I have it sitting here next to me, but I haven't actually drank it yet, so it might be a little low energy podcast. <laughs> anyway, we have a, a little bit of a different kind of podcast today uh, because yesterday I was on a uh, conference call with Ravens head team physician, Dr. Andrew Tucker, who has been uh, with the Ravens since 1996. He's been their head uh, physician. And he was on there to talk to reporters about COVID-19 and how the team's handling it and kind of give an update on how things are going with the protocol. And, of course, you know, what he thinks could lie ahead, which we're all trying to figure out, right? Um, but uh, so it was really interesting stuff. And so I thought, hey, why don't we deliver this to you all in a podcast? Because, uh, you know, it's kind of it's it answers a lot of questions that I think a lot of you probably have. Yeah, we've gotten a lot of questions and emails from listeners over the past several weeks and months about what the season's going to look like, what happens if you get a positive test, how do you approach that, all, all those different things. And uh, the, one of the one of the people who's most integral in figuring all that out is Dr. Tucker. I mean, he is at, yeah. at literally on the front lines of figuring out how to handle this. Um, you, you know, the testing portion, the treatment portion, all, all that stuff. I mean, he he is in the middle of all of this. Um, so there's literally no better source to talk to uh, than Dr. Tucker. So just when we when we get into that, just so fans know, it's a it's it's not an interview that we did with him. It's a full uh, Q and A that he did with reporters. So yes. um, you know it's a different, a little bit different. But before we do that, we do have some emails we want to read and get into. So you want to kick it off, Ryan? Sure. Uh, this one comes from Daniel Mills, our, our buddy from the International uh, <laughs> Podcast. He says, hey, fellas, I heard a report that the NFL may include virtual fans in games this year in a similar style that the NBA has. I know that there's nothing set in stone, and I'm sure you guys have no idea what that would look like yet. Bingo, Daniel. He's already, he knows us. We have no idea. <laughs> yeah, what are you Bingo. saying? I, I love how, like, the question, uh, as part of the question, it says, I know you guys don't know anything. You're clueless. <laughs> However. <laughs> well, Daniel just knows us. He's a loyal listener. Um, but I was thinking one game, maybe we could have a reunion of the international fans section. I figured that might be a good way to connect again. Thanks for your time. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I love it. We know, Daniel knows that we, how much we love our international fans. Um, so, yeah, I'd be down. I, I really do hope that they do, like, the virtual thing or the cardboard cutouts or something like that. Like, you know, watching some baseball games, it, it just it makes a difference. Like, you know, you know it's fake. 
but you still see those shots of the crowd and it just kind of like makes you smile like what pictures people picked or mm-hmm. like it just it makes it feel a little more real than like an empty stadium completely you know what i mean yeah i it's been funny in the nba seeing some of the people who have been the the virtual fans like lil wayne was there one day and it's <laughs> like it's just kind of cool seeing some of the people who have popped in on, on these virtual fans um I, I I think all those things are still being sorted out like, at the league yeah. and the team level, but I can just say that there, people are thinking about all that, all those different possibilities and, and how to make it an engaging atmosphere for the players. I mean, that's one thing that I think that is a little bit un, kind of forgotten about is like players feed off that energy on game days. Like they are when you have a stadium with seventy thousand people, like they get that energy. So when you sure. don't have that it just is a different atmosphere for them to go out and play. And I think that they will really miss it. Like, I think for fans at home... There will still be noise. I mean... Like, it will, but it's just different. It will crowd noise. It will be different. But, yeah. yeah. I, I think that, like, any way to cr- try to create a, kind of an exciting atmosphere in the stadium for the players is, is not necessarily something to be overlooked. Like, I think that there is obviously uh, an impact that that has. Well, really, so, what makes me think about all that is... Or what I think about all that is that it's a shame... You know, the Ravens had some prime home games this year. I know. Like, I specifically think looking at that Monday night against the Chiefs and to not have a packed stadium for that, man, it's just a a really big bummer. I mean, and it's a competitive advantage. I mean, the Ravens, we have one of the best home crowds in the NFL, if not the best. Yeah. And so you do lose a degree of that competitive advantage for sure. It's kind of a little bit of a balancing of the scales a little bit. Yep. Um, and I, I know every sport's dealing with that, you know, like listening to what NBA players have talked about, even golfers, you know, golfers uh, and watching the PGA Championship over the weekend. Some of the golfers talked about how that when you are playing in a major on Sunday and there's the crowd, you the nerves are different. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, you ha- you don't have that. And so it does that change outcomes to a certain degree because some players can't handle the crowd. They can't handle all the eyeballs and all that mm-hmm. attention. Does that alter things? And I-, I don't know if it will. How much does it alter things? But I think that's kind of an interesting thought when you get into games. Like, are some players who get nervous or don't perform well under the bright lights, do they play better in this atmosphere or vice versa? So uh, yeah. it is interesting. Here's another question that we'll get to. Uh, this was from Will Saunders. And again, you guys can email us at the lounge at ravens.nfl.net send in lots of questions training camp by the way is here training camp is happening it's been going on for the past couple of weeks veterans had their first day on the field yesterday it was a ramp-up practice so not full pads but it was a it was a ramp-up practice but first day of full pads is on monday that's when it gets to look and feel like real football and i'll Um, be there baby oh i'm excited is this is that gonna be your first time out of the basement that's the, yep that's right I've, I've always gone through my whole uh pantry shelves here it's time to emerge well i i have bad news for you and we're gonna get to will's question in a second i have don't bad even news talk for to you me about peanut butter don't it's even not say the there's words. no peanut butter there's no peanut oh. butter there's no peanut when i walked into the cafeteria they have the peanut butter thing and usually there's the pre-crushed peanuts you know then yeah. it goes through the crusher yeah it's empty empty no yeah empty why I, there, you can't touch anything in there. Basically, it's a lot of prepackaged. It's a different experience. But yeah, no peanut butter. Well, can I Even, get a tub and, of peanut butter, a prepackaged tub of peanut butter? Uh, it's not up and running. And no orange juice. Oh, my God. The orange Why juice Why am I machine. even coming in? Why am I even coming in? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so hey, they also, um, 
a little plug for the show we're doing starting on Monday, Ravens Training Camp Live. It's going to go live uh, at the time that practice starts, uh, right around that time in the morning. Um, but that is going to be uh, on streamed on Facebook, on YouTube, on our website, on our app, on our CTV app. So it'll be a really cool way to see everything that's happening in practice. So make sure you check that out. We're doing that every day during practice. Every, every day, day over the course of training camp uh, during practice, again, starting on Monday. So make sure you do not miss that. All right, to Will's question. He says, the rookies have been working out for roughly a week. Even though there haven't been any contact or working pads, what are your first impressions of the rookie class? What do you think, Ryan? D- haven't seen them. <laughs> I've seen the same photos you have, Will. <laughs> seen the same trailer videos, you know, of guys hitting pads. Yeah. Um, I'll answer that a little bit in a sec. But he says, I was surprised that Dalen Mack was waived. Uh, but then after he was claimed by the Lions, he was waived again within 48 hours. Uh, do you know why the Ravens released him? His, his guess is that he wasn't in shape. I, I don't know if that if you can assume that. Here's the thing with Dalen Mack and the, and the Ravens' defensive line. Since he was a late-round draft pick last year, first of all. And then since the Ravens drafted him, look at what they've done to the defensive line. There's the additions that they made last year in Justin Ellis and Jihad Ward. Then this offseason with Calais Campbell, Derek Wolf, and Justin Matabike, and Broderick Washington. So those are all significant additions that they've made to the defensive line since drafting Dalen Mack. So the circumstances have changed pretty you know, significantly since he, since well, he arrived. Oh, yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I was still somewhat surprised. I mean, uh, here's a young player that you looked at, and Michael Pierce leaves. Dalen Mack is a kind of nose tackle. You know, uh-huh. I mean, I, I thought that Mack could be the guy that steps in there and at least compete with Justin Ellis uh, throughout training camp to be that kind of number two guy behind Brandon Williams. So, I, I mean, I was a little surprised that he was waived. I mean, all those guys that you listed aren't really in Mack's mold right? Um, those are like different body types than Dalen Mack. To the question, I also am not sure why exactly. I, I'm sure the numbers game played into that. I don't know if, you know, Dalen didn't get on the field much last year as a rookie. You know, I guess he wasn't, he wasn't ready to play, you know, and, and that maybe that he got back this year and, and they determined that he probably wasn't going to be ready to play this year. Right. And so I don't know, but um, yeah. All right. Anyway, first impressions of the rookie class. Yeah, I, I mean, really haven't seen much of them on the field. But what I will say with him is I just think personality-wise, these guys are great fits. Like, J.K. Dobbins never has a, never doesn't have a smile on his face. He has a smile on his face at all times. I, literally, I love that guy. I know. I walked, in, I walked into the cafeteria the other day, and uh, he had the biggest smile on his face, waved me down from across the room. I mean, I think that's just the kind of guy he is. Um, he yeah. just is a happy-go-lucky, um, seems to just love football, um, and – it's awesome. Like, I think he's well, going to be a great fit. Uh, Justin Matabike is kind of the same way. Like, he seems like he's just thrilled to be here. He's fired up. Uh, you know, he seems to be, like, trying to learn as much as possible already from a guy like Calais Campbell. Like, I've seen them having some conversations, which is kind of cool to see Calais um, mm-hmm. taking a young guy like that under his wing. So, these young these rookies, just from a small sample size, seem like they're thrilled to be here. They're eager to learn. And they're just a really like happy-go-lucky, entertaining group of players. Well, and from my perspective, every time we've met with them, you know, in any media call or anything mm-hmm. like that, like just really good manners. I mean, you know, like yeah. just like good kids. You know, I mean, they're just really nice. Address you by name, and like they're just pleasant. Um, yeah. So it's it's cool. You know, I, I'm sure our fans really care a lot about them on the field. Yeah. Um, what they're doing on the field, but we'll have more on that during training camp live. You got to watch. Yeah. Yep, for, um, for sure. So it'll be interesting. I know. I know. 
you're probably playing that Ohio State card big time with J.K. Dobbins, aren't you? How many? Times I really haven't talked to him about it. I did it once when he first got drafted, and we did an interview. But I really haven't talked to him about it that much. I want to talk to him about it, obviously, since the Big Ten season just got canceled. Get his thoughts. Um, That's true. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've been watching him for the last three years. So, all right, we're going to jump into the Q and A with Dr. Tucker. But before we do that, first, we're going to take a quick break. Ravens fans know there's only one truck brand strong enough to partner with the Lounge and the Ravens Podcast Network, and that's Ram Trucks, Motor Trend's back-to-back truck of the year. The Ram 1500 offers an available Ram Box cargo management system, four-corner air suspension, and a huge amount of rear legroom. When properly equipped, the Ram 3500 is a heavy-duty workhorse that boasts a 1,000 pound-feet of diesel torque. Go to Ram.com today for great deals on a wide selection of Ram trucks, now with door-to-door delivery. I would start out by saying I thought I'd seen it all, but I hadn't seen it all uh, this year. Um, It's been an extraordinary year in many respects, and um, it's hard to describe sort of the... um, uh, the, the efforts that have gone into uh, from the players' side, from the league side, from the club side, medical staffs, all the different um, all the different areas in this building have been touched by uh, this whole process. An extraordinary, extraordinary effort to get us where we are today, which is on track for hopefully a game um, in about a month. Um, so. We were going to share the slides that we uh, have uh, shared with the players. Uh, This would be the specific COVID presentation. This is not the general medical presentation that is separate and takes about an hour to go over with the players. The the general um, presentation covers the things like concussion and heat injury um, and uh, supplements and medications and so on and so forth. This was specific to uh, COVID. And I'm just gonna highlight some of the things and then I think it would be more instructive uh, probably to open it up sooner rather than later to go over questions that you uh, probably have, especially in light of some of the things that are going on um, with some of the major uh, conference decisions here in the last few days. So the, um, certainly one, point of emphasis to all of our players, but not just the players, uh, to all of our staff, coaches, uh, employees, um, everybody who touches this organization and and potentially touches the player has their part to play. Um, And that emphasis started from day one and continues to be emphasized. We're really only as strong as our weakest link in terms of these protocols. And as we've all seen with Major League Baseball and some other, uh, it just it, it just takes one little weakness, uh, one, one weak point uh, to, to really make a huge difference. I've been impressed by a few things with this pandemic. One is how incredibly contagious this virus is, um, how it spreads. Um, the, the other baffling things is, as we all know, how uh, how different it affects different people. Everything from asymptomatic infections to minimally symptomatic infections to life-threatening infections and uh, totally baffling in that way as well. Those characteristics also have made it hard for us to trace and to track this virus. If everybody had symptoms, then it would be actually a little bit easier to track and, and to trace. 
because some people and some maybe many people have infection with very either very few symptoms or no symptoms it makes it even that much harder uh, to, to track and trace and to prevent um, further spread. We certainly emphasize the point that risk cannot be eliminated, um, but we can do a lot uh, to minimize exposure. And if you, uh, when you, uh, if you could see the building, if you came into the building, uh, as I think I, I talked, I caught some of Greg Roman's comments about how impressive it is um, to see the level of detail uh, with respect to this uh, process. Everything from making the cafeteria two to three times uh, as big in order to properly space um, to the uh, tracking devices or proximity devices that we all wear while we're on site and we will wear when we're traveling with the team. So if in fact somebody comes down with symptoms or has an exposure to COVID, a COVID person, or worse yet, if somebody tests positive, then within 15 to 20 minutes, we have the ability to work with IQVIA uh, to figure out who has been within six feet and for how long, uh, all within literally minutes uh, when, after one, one phone call. Incredibly amazing um, technology. The, the message to the players, and it's the same message that goes to the entire country and the entire world, um, and I won't belabor that, but we spent a lot of times re-emphasizing what I would call the blocking and tackling of infectious disease prevention, which is the hand washing, the mask wearing, the distancing. I mean, it doesn't, it's not very sexy. It's not real, uh, I guess that's the word. It's just not, but it is fundamental to how we prevent the infections. I will say one thing about testing, and we're certainly uh, being tested frequently um, as, uh, as part of this process, testing doesn't prevent spread of the virus. Testing identifies early on the, um, uh, the new infections and, and can potentially and hopefully prevent the spread. Uh, but testing does not prevent the spread of the virus. It's these things uh, that we talked about and has been emphasized to us by the health, uh, health uh, public health people uh, since March really uh, is the blocking and tackling uh, of, of prevention. And that's what we, uh, we emphasize over and over and over. Um, you may be interested in a little bit about the protocols, as you may know, uh, those uh, that are considered tier one and tier two uh, have been tested every day since coming um, to, to the facility. Um, that will hopefully lessen to every other day testing uh, uh, pending uh, approval from the league and the players association. Uh, the criteria, as you may know, by which we can lessen the frequency of testing has to do with the percent positives. Um, and I don't know that I'm at liberty to talk about how many positives and, uh, and so on and so forth, but I, I would reemphasize that uh, fortunately our situation, like most other situations in the league has been extremely uh, encouraging uh, and reassuring. And uh, I would hope that uh, hopefully next week we will be allowed to decrease the intensity and frequency of the testing. Uh, we do have uh, the ability to do both the PCR tests, which is the, the test that is more accurate that comes back in about a day or so, as well as uh, a same day uh, or what we call point of care test uh, in which uh, we can detect um, 
with, with a fair amount of accuracy whether somebody has active disease with that uh, information coming back to us within the half an hour. Um, so let me just get to, uh, we emphasize again to all the players, the signs and symptoms, the players, the staff, we, all of us have to fill out the symptom checklist every day. We take our temperatures every day. We get our temperatures checked when we come to the facility. Um, and uh, we instruct players, if people get sick, they're not to come. If they get sick while they're here, they're evaluated, they isolate, uh, we will likely test them um, and then go from there. Um, there are three different protocols that we spoke uh, at length with the players about. Um, and uh, if you had the visuals, it would probably be easier, but we talked to players about what happens if they come into contact with somebody that's sick. We talked to players about what if um, they come into contact who is diagnosed with COVID-19. And then we uh, talked to them about if they, in fact, players, coaches, or staff are, um, are, are, are diagnosed with COVID-19. Um, don't know how much you want to go into that. Uh, maybe it's best to leave that uh, for uh, question and answer. Um, but as you, uh, in broad general terms, um, it's a significant diagnosis to make with respect to the players. Uh, if someone is found to be COVID positive, they will uh, be out a, a minimum of, of 10 days uh, to two weeks at minimum, assuming they have minimum symptoms or no symptoms. They have to be isolated for those 10 days. They have to go through special heart testing at the conclusion of those 10 days. Then they go through a period of ramp up activity, increased activity uh, in a gradual fashion under our purview, the training staff and the medical staff uh, before they're released to full activity. Uh, so that is what happens if someone is tested positive. If they are sicker or their, um, their sickness or illness is more complicated, uh, the whole process will take longer. Um, it, could, it could be three or four weeks. Um, so the reality is, as we talk to the players, um, in some respects, sometimes having a COVID positive test with certain, with certain characteristics is, a, is, is about like having a high ankle sprain. You could miss three or four weeks of activity um, a, a, out of an abundance of precautions. We can uh, perhaps talk about um, some of the issues uh, related to so-called false positives or presumed positives. Um, and, and I'll just leave that open uh, for you to ask questions about it. Some of these slides actually, which are not very old, this was the end of July. Some of the slides have already been changed with respect to the protocol. And all of you are probably aware of that, especially as it relates to a couple of prominent cases that were testing positive and then were retested and were, and, and were negative. Um, and we can talk about the, those, uh, those special, very uncommon circumstances uh, of presumed positives that, are, that uh, are ultimately judged to be not active infection. Um, we talked about the contact tracing, the Connexon devices that we all wear when we're here. Um, the treat, we talked to the players about what is done for treatment. As we all know, there is no magic bullet. There is no magic medicine for COVID-19, uh, it's like taking care of the flu. Uh, we have, uh, Ron and the staff have done an outstanding job of having basically care packages ready for these guys if, in case somebody 
test positive, um, they will be quarantined at home or in the hotel. Uh, they will um, have uh, uh, thermometers but with which they check their temperature two to three times a day. They will have pulse oximeter devices with which they check their oxygen in their blood so, uh, on a daily basis. We check in with them on a daily basis. We Zoom with them, we see them, we, um, we see them, uh, and, and if need be, if they're sick enough, we will actually, they will come to our office. Otherwise, this is a process that plays out in their, in their homes or in, in the hotel. Um, and that and that has been uh, uh, lived through on just uh, thankfully uh, very few occasions so far uh, this year. Uh, transportation and travel uh, again, medical staff working hand in glove with the operations people and every other department in this um, in this building uh, in terms of the incredible uh, attention to, de to detail that is required to plan. A, a large traveling party to travel to an away game. Um, obviously, you know that uh, uh, there, there's a restricted list. Only tier one and tier 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 two people can travel. Uh, they will be wearing masks constantly. Um, we have discussions about whether to have uh, food on the planes, uh, just because of the slight increased risk of taking your mask off to eat for a period of time. Obviously, everybody will be in their own hotel rooms. Buses uh, will be kept at 50% capacity or less to provide proper distancing. Um, open seating between airplane passengers, just like uh, in uh, it, it, just like you you may have experienced if you travel on an airplane uh, in the last couple of months. Just the amount of detail uh, that is required to think about every conceivable weak link in the chain, so to speak. Uh, from the time we leave Baltimore to the time we come back, players will not be allowed to leave the hotel. Well, none of us will be allowed to leave the hotel to go out to eat like some people like to do. Uh, no visitors, no family members coming to see the players and all of us uh, that happens frequently when we're on the road, uh, so on and so forth. Um, and then the, we also talked to the players about the, um, the, the fan engagement and, and the media engagement, which uh, um, preaching to the choir in terms of uh, of the people who understand the limitations uh, that go along with that. So this was, uh, you know, 19 slides. Uh, some of the slides are actually outdated, even though they're only two or three weeks old, uh, because things have changed. Um, that's another constant message to the players and everybody in the staff. This is a uh, this this is a constantly changing sort of situation in an environment. And uh, and we we just have to be ready to adapt uh, to whatever whatever comes our way. I would say the beginning here has been really good. And uh, again, I have not really been a part of anything where so many, um, both at the national level with the PA and the league, uh, as well as here on our micro level at the club, everybody pulling in the same direction to make. Um, something happen in a positive way to keep us all safe has just been incredibly impressive. So um, hopefully uh, our, our, our good start will continue. So I will, um, sorry you couldn't see the slides. Uh, I, I think they're publicly available according to the league, um, but uh, maybe Chad and the, and the team can send them uh, your way if you're interested in seeing them. But um, I will, go ahead and shut it down and open it up for uh, for questions.
Uh, hi, Dr. Tucker. This is uh, Daniel Yafusi from the Baltimore Sun. Um, I know you mentioned that, um, you know, players who are kind of placed on test positive for COVID um, upon returning, they'll undergo like a kind of like a heart scan. Um, at the college level, there's been a lot of talk about uh, myocarditis, the health, the heart condition kind of linked to COVID. How much of that is, um, I guess, a concern for you as a physician and just overall, just how much have you had to read up on um, that and just other things linked to COVID? Yeah, a good question. And um, it, it's a concern. Er, early on in this illness, uh, the people that were taking care of the sickest patients in the hospital, uh, meaning the ICU doctors and the pulmonary doctors, uh, noted early on that a high percentage of patients that were cared for in the hospital with COVID infections had a high percentage of cardiac involvement, meaning uh, inflammation of the heart, which is the myocarditis that you uh, alluded to. Uh, now, myocarditis is not um, totally un unknown to us. If you, if you look at the literature in sports medicine, myocarditis is one of the um, rare causes of sudden cardiac arrest in our athletes, and it is usually caused by a virus that causes inflammation in the heart. It's very rare, fortunately, but it can happen, and it can happen to any, it, theoretically, any virus, but certain viruses tend to make it more, hap make it more likely. Unfortunately, COVID uh, has proven uh, early on to, to be uh, a virus that tends to involve the heart. And the biggest question is, uh, Daniel, whether, um, w whether people that have been asymptomatic or minimally symptomatic, what their risk is with respect to myocarditis. We understand that people that are very sick with COVID uh, have a, probably a significant percentage of risk for myocarditis. What we are sorting through and, and gaining more knowledge about is people that have just been exposed to the virus and have no symptoms or had minimal symptoms. Uh, we, are, we are learning every week uh, whether any of those uh, people have uh, increased risk for heart troubles. So from day one, the protocols have been very conservative with respect to the heart. Um, if somebody tests positive for COVID or has a history of a probable COVID infection or has antibodies to COVID, they have to go through a series of cardiac tests uh, before they're allowed to participate. Um, that's certainly in the case of the NFL, and I know it's you know all the major leagues and uh, and colleges um, are you know, are sorting through these, uh, what's the right thing to do for the athletes returning after a potential COVID exposure? It's, um, it is a concern. Uh, I would say, I think the risk is low, uh, but how low is a little bit uh, premature to say because we just don't have the data. This hasn't been going on that long. Hey, doctor, this is uh, Adam Kilgore from the Washington Post. Um, yeah. I, hi, how are you? But thanks for doing this. Um, uh, I, I wondered, like you mentioned when you were talking before about how, like you know, some of the slides are outdated, even though they're only two or three weeks old. Um, along those lines, has anything since players started coming in surprised you, or have you had to change protocols in any in any way? Whether that's because the science has changed, or be just because you found once you started doing it in practice that it's not practical, or that there's a better way to do. Uh, X protocol or something like that? Good question. I would say um, 
Nothing dramatic in terms of our protocols have changed. Uh, the The thing I referenced, which everybody's read, uh, is you know the so-called uh, false positive or presumed positive. I think in Matt Stafford, um, that that's the pro that that is the the, the one thing that has really uh, slightly changed. So I would summarize that change by the fact that. Um, and, and this mirrors what the CDC. This is not. This is not the NFL doing this uh, on their own. The CDC has uh, sort of gotten away from a testing-based protocol uh, in terms of determining who is able to return to work and return to play. They, they've moved towards a time-based protocol, meaning that if you or I uh, have the virus, even with no symptoms, we we must wait 10 days. Um, be asymptomatic for a day, completely asymptomatic, then go through the heart testing. So early, the early protocols, Adam, talked about um, uh, 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 one pathway of return to play was a, a couple of consecutive negative tests within five days. They've sort of gotten away from that. Um, not to get too much into the weeds, but the, um, the issue, of course, with, uh, with some players, and, and they lived through this in Detroit, is, is that a player had multiple negatives and then turned up with a positive and then had followed by multiple negatives. The question is, well, how can that happen? And we could spend most of the rest of the afternoon sort of discussing <laughs> the possibilities there, which we won't, we won't do. I would say that that's the main change uh, in, the, in the protocol that I was referring to. As it relates to the building, um, there, there's constantly sort of a, I, I would say everybody that's, uh, involved with this is constantly looking at how to do things, you know, better. Uh, no different than football coaches uh, looking at the product on the field. Um, there have been some minor tweaks uh, within the building, uh, but uh, amazingly, um, I, I, again, if you, if, you, if you could do a walkthrough and see um, the, the changes, I think you'd be <laughs> amazed and, and impressed at, uh, to the extent with which uh, these clubs are are invested in this. I guess the only uh, uh, the the only thing I can think of that was the biggest change was uh, when the hurricane went through. We had <laughs> we had we had to get rid of the uh, the drive-through testing and um, and make do on a on a day. Um, but fortunately, we have we're blessed with a lot of space out here, and we're able to accomplish that day that the that the uh, that the hurricane blew through with all those inches of rain. That that was probably the <laughs> The most challenging thing, I think, so far. Hey, Doctor hey, Tucker. A, go ahead, Doctor Tucker. It's Mark Viviano with WJZ TV. Hey. Um, ob obviously, different circumstances. Uh, a number of colleges aren't going to play football this year. In your medical opinion, what would it take for the NFL to have to consider that it couldn't play football? What has to happen, or what has to be avoided for you guys to uh, have your season? Well, I think it, 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 I can't speak for major colleges, although I, I kind of understand where they're coming from. Um, it, it's, it's a different setting. Um, the college campuses, uh, a, just a different setting in terms of risk, I think. Um, I think there's some of the, the, the college docs um, and medical advisories, uh, the counseling, the, 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 um, the conferences are certainly you know, have talked about the, the potential cardiac stuff and, and, and the fact that they may not be comfortable with where our understanding of all this is. As far as uh, the NFL, I mean, that's really probably a question for uh, 
Dr. Sills and Dr. Mayer and uh, the people at the top. I mean, from my uh, vantage point, it, 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 Mark, it'll just come down to, um, you know, po <laughs> uh, the ability to maintain uh, a, a low positivity rate uh, consistently week in and week out, you know, will be, uh, will be uh, critical. I mean, we all assume that there'll be a, a positive here or there. And then the, and then the, the, the critical, the, the critical thing that we have to accomplish is when that when that happens is um, sort of rapid identification of that person, appropriate isolation, and, and minimizing the risk of any spread, uh, so that we have you know one or two people that might be affected and not eight or ten or twelve like we we saw on um, in the world of baseball uh, recently. So um, that's it, that's just. Uh, you know, my two cents worth. Uh, that's a that's a huge question that we all think about, uh, and we wonder. Uh, you know, I tell people I think we're gonna we're gonna start. Hope we're gonna finish. Uh, but what would be the criteria by by which we might not be able to finish? Um, that's obviously uh, up to the people in in New York and Washington and. And, and and with a lot of interaction, I think with uh, government affairs and the and the and the cities and so forth, uh, there's just a, a lot of tr uh, communication going on between clubs and states and their cities and health departments and so forth. And uh, it, it's um, it, there's a lot of moving parts. That's uh, and I know you understand that as well as anybody. I'm Jimena Lugo La Torre from Ravens Spanish Radio. Uh, Dr. Tucker, is there a plan to keep a quarterback isolated as a precaution against an outbreak in the position? Uh, if that, if I understood you right, is the is there a plan to keep the quarterback isolated to keep him from uh, being uh, infected? I, I, no, not that I know of. Um, I, I can't. I can't speculate as to if things change in the community or change in the team or something that there might be a different approach. Um, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule it out. Um, and and actually, I mean, you, you could extend that to uh, uh, player positions that, for which you don't really have any immediate backups. Um, you know, a kick, kicker or a punter or something like that. I, th I think those. Um, those there are certain positions that are actually more vulnerable, you know, to uh, not an injury, but in this in this case, infection. Um, and uh, and I don't know. And I think the league has certainly been cogitating on this the, for the whole pandemic, which is how how do you give clubs and teams and coaches sort of the flexibility that they need, which is all very fascinating to me. But it's out. It's uh, thankfully not something I have to. I have to come up with, but no, the, the quick answer is no, there has been no, no discussion about that, to my knowledge. Dr. Tucker, this is uh, Jonas Schaefer with the Baltimore Sun. Thank you for doing this. Uh, I think if we're not at it right now, by the end of the week, we'll have hit the end of the uh, daily period of two week testing that the NFL imposed for training camp. I wonder when we, when we reach the end of that, will it be your call? Will it be in concert with the, the coaching staff as to decide 
how frequent you will be testing players? That has to go through the, the league. And it, it, again, it's based on um, a review of the uh, rate of positivity uh, to the tests, uh, not just with the players, but with all the staff that are being tested. So, um, you know, so, uh, I don't know how many, you know, certainly tier one, tier two, or, or I guess we're somewhere around plus players were somewhere in the in the 200s uh you know so you, you could do the math i, I think the the criteria is uh, below five percent uh, which is the published uh data and and um but that that decision is really made in concert with the league and the players association feeling uh, uh will, would give the okay for a club to uh to to de decrease their their frequency of testing and then likewise if there's a if there's a, a, a flare up in the in the infection uh, of any club, um, the the protocols certainly allow for reinstituting the the daily testing uh, if necessary. Um, so there's flexibility, you know, built in there in case the worst case scenario happens. Doctor Tucker, just, just to follow up, um, it, it looks like the NFLPA just announced a couple of minutes ago that they're going to continue daily testing through September fifth. Well, uh, th there you go. <laughs> there uh, is that for the. I assume that's for the whole league. Uh, it looks like looks like that. Yeah. Okay. And that was a that was an announcement with the players' association, or was that uh, also? Yeah, the NFLPA Twitter account says we have re we have reached an agreement with the NFL to continue daily testing through September fifth. We will continue to, to monitor positivity rates within each club and relevant information from each team community to inform our assessment of testing frequency ahead of the regular season. Yeah, that's, um, well, that's good to know. I guess uh, we're, we're, st <laughs> we're stuck getting a lot of swabs, uh, which, is a, which is worth it. I mean, I think any of us that are involved with the process are, um, while I wouldn't say it's fun, um, it, it's, it's so little, um, required of us to just you know to do that to to uh to just make extra sure that we have um a, an environment that we can all feel comfortable in and feel good about the players being in and so i uh you're <laughs> you're uh you're the bearer of bad bad, bad tidings but i i i uh, i think that's that's absolutely fine and i, I i'd rather err on that side than not dr tucker it's ryan mink from ravens media i'm wondering you know, are you guys trying to do as much outside as possible right now? And then once it gets colder, do you expect that you'll have to adjust kind of how you do things and your protocol a little bit? And then secondly, you know, when you are indoors and everybody's staying six feet apart, what's your understanding of the transmission level just from being in a shared space with each other, you know, sharing air, even if you are six feet apart and masked? Yeah, outside's better than inside, more space better than less space. Um, and I know, again, part of that's a coaching uh, call. And I know John and the staff prefer to be outdoors. I guess uh, if we had an upcoming game on turf, then maybe they, maybe the coaches uh, like to, uh, like to go inside uh, just to get the footing and get the, fo the footwear. But I, I don't know, that, that's more of a coaching call. Um, I I would imagine um, again we're we're sort of in this um, you know p 
period of time where we're sort of just feeling things out. Um, for, fortunately, we're not in uh, you know Green Bay or 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 somewhere that doesn't allow us to be outside pretty much uh, all of the season or most of the season. But if we get you know six inches of snow in December, then it's a whole it's a whole different uh, situation. I think I think we'll stay outside as long as we can stay outside. Um, I think they like that for a number of reasons. I think the players prefer to be on grass than turf for one. Um, and uh, now we have another reason. It's, it's, it's probably, even though risk, the relative risk is probably hard to, you know, quantify Ryan in terms of, you know, how many percent higher risk it is to be being inside, even if you're trying to space. Um, I, I would I think the experts would say, yeah, it's, you're still somewhat at increased risk being on the inside. Then the other thing that's interesting that I, you know, as we start up with pads next week and helmets and so forth is um, the concept of wearing, um, uh, where you know, we're wearing the helmets that have uh, the sort of the built-in mass. And I, I really haven't talked to anybody, any many of the players, to get some feedback in terms of of that. Um, in terms of how well received that is, I think I, I think that there'll be a spectrum. Some some will be willing to give it a go. Some some are not going to feel comfortable. But um, th that's a not that's you know sort of an ongoing iterative process in terms of making things uh, more comfortable for the players. I just think they're going to be outside as much as possible for a lot of reasons, and it, it just so happens that works out best for minimizing uh, the risk of the pandemic. Hey, Dr. Tucker, this is uh, Aaron Kasnitz at Penn Live. really appreciate your time. Um, just to follow up on the myocarditis, uh, you mentioned the, the heart testing after. Um, it, what's the likelihood that that test would not, you know, pick up on something or heart conditions could be developed later? And j just more generally, how do you follow up on the guys who do test positive? Is it once they clear protocol, they're kind of good to go or are there risks that you need to check up on weeks, months, years later, because we don't know. Well, we might, yeah, all those are uh, questions. So I think we're trying to sort through. So just to give you an idea at the end of um, their sort of their, their isolation, uh, they go through an echocardiogram, which as you may know, is just the sound wave test of the heart uh, to look at the heart uh, pumping function. Uh, we do a blood test uh, called the troponin test, uh, which uh, is a blood marker for uh, cardiac damage or cardiac muscle inflammation, as well as just a plain EKG. Some people with myocarditis will have some characteristic changes on the EKG, uh, ECG. So that's just the plain, you know, heart tracing that the players get every year anyway. And that's done, again, at sort of uh, day 10 or 11 or 12. Uh, and... and our, our, our knowledge base right now is such that we feel like if there's going to be heart involvement, we should be able to pick it up at that two-week mark. Um, the question you're asking, which I don't think the medical community can answer right now, is could there, could there be some risk that evolves over time past that two-week mark? You know, might we, uh, now we're constantly talking to the players in terms of are you having any symptoms? Do you have, you know, is your stamina changed or this, that, and the other? But um, uh, it's a very valid question as to, well, do you, do you retest, you know, some people uh, at four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks? Those are not part of the protocol right now, Aaron. Um, but as, as our 
knowledge base grows over time, it could change. Uh, but right now, that that's what we've got. And, and and to your again to sort of finish the thought, if you have anything that's sus that's suspicious with any of those tests, or you've had a more severe infection, let's say you were really sick or you were hospitalized, you will see the cardiologist face to face and you will likely have other tests like stress tests and a cardiac MRI. The cardiac MRI is like an MRI of any other body part, but it, it is a very sensitive to picking up uh, inflammation and scar in the heart. And, uh, and so that is part of the protocol as well. Ravens fans, if you've been reading the scouting reports, you know that Ram Trucks are Motor Trend's back-to-back -back truck of the year. Ram 1500 is a top pick with an available Hemi V8 engine, e-torque hybrid technology, and a 12-inch touchscreen. Plus, it offers a truckload of available features. It's the same with the hardworking Ram 3500 Heavy Duty. For generous cash allowances and great lease offers, go to Ram.com and take advantage of all the great deals happening right now on a wide selection of Ram trucks. Well, really interesting stuff from Dr. Tucker. Uh, I mean, I think that it, it's just, it's really gives you kind of hope that this season is going to go well. You know what I mean? Like, we're off to a good start. Now, there's a lot of hurdles, right? I mean, once the pads come on, that's the next hurdle because players are going to be coming in closer contact and all that kind of stuff, swapping sweat, all mm -hmm. that stuff. That's kind of the next hurdle. And then once you start playing games and teams are traveling, you have travel involved. Now you're introducing players from other states that whatever you, you know, you play the Cowboys or whatever. They're from a hot spot right now, you know, like, but I mean, even if they're from a hot spot and, and the Cowboys, if the Cowboys are doing well and don't have many positives, then okay, you know, fine. Right. Um, but anyway, there's different hurdles along the way here. And I thought it was interesting. You know, I think we all know, and as Dr. Tucker said, players are going to turn up positive, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's going to be players that get infected. It's how, how many get infected. You have to keep that number low. When they get infected, you have to stop it from being a, a widespread, you know, kind of thing, right? And then, and then you have to be able to be, from a roster standpoint, nimble enough to overcome that loss of the player because it's a minimum, minimum of 10 days. Mm -hmm. 10 days to two weeks, he said. So, you know, there's a lot to be figured right. out. The I, I think well. the other thing that I have learned is initially when I saw the protocols, I was curious how, like, for, for example, I was like, why do you have to, if everyone's getting tested, why do you have to divide the locker room into all these different partitions and set up all this different social distancing within the building? I was like, what is the reason for all of these different layers? And, I, you know, as I thought about it more, obviously it makes sense. You're just layering protection on top of protection on top of protection, and you're trying to get in a situation where if you do have one of those outbreaks before it were to be detected on a test and someone's spreading it, it's going to be minimized because of all the all the different things I'm talking about. The tracking device uh, that everyone has to wear that can determine who you've been in contact with for how long. Like, all of that stuff is built to just add protection. Um, it's even why, like, little things, like, at the end of practice, they're not all just, like, coming to a big huddle. They're kind of staying right. a little bit socially distanced. It seems silly. It's like, well, you were just practicing and you were hitting each other during practice and trading sweat and all that. What's the difference of coming together at the end of practice? Well, it's just one little additional way of protection, and you try to, like, layer those things on top of each other to minimize yeah. any sort of potential outbreak. So, Well, it's really, it's really if, like, one slips past the goalie, right? I yeah. mean, because you get tested every day, but then – 
I mean, the Ravens do have those tests that come back within 30 minutes, I think he said. Um, but then, but those, are, really, those are not the main ones that they're using. Exactly. They're really using the ones that come back 24 hours later the next day. So it's, it's really in case you get infected in between those results, right? right? And they, so, right. right. Which, which, is, is, then, slim, and, which yeah, is slim. Which is slim. Which is slim. Right, but right. it can happen. So but you have to prepare for have somebody, it. Yeah. Exactly. So if you have somebody come in that comes in and, and they are positive, then you have additional measures. Yeah. The other thing I thought was interesting is that he talked about the possibility of quarantining a quarterback or a player at another position, uh, yeah. like a kicker, uh, where you don't have backups. You know, I mean, you have a backup quarterback, but you don't want to lose Lamar Jackson, obviously. <laughs> yeah. It goes without saying. Um, so, you know, like he said, that that's not on the – that's not – as part of the plan right now, but it's also not off the table at some point. Um, I think that, I mean, that, uh, you know, I think he was a little uncomfortable answering that because really that's going to go into coaching, a coach's yeah, decision. Yeah. In, in, and Lamar. To a large extent, and Lamar. Yeah, but I mean, he's basically like, <laughs> as a doctor, sure, I'm not involved in football strategy, but yeah, I mean, if this thing, if let's say Maryland starts getting worse, mm-hmm. you know, God forbid. Uh, then, like, you might say, all right, the, the risk level's high here. We need to bunker them up, bunker right. up some of these guys, basically, you know? Right, and, and you know, like Lamar said in his press conference, uh, you know, a week ago, he's bubble boy this year, and I think he understands the significance, obviously, that he has to this team uh, and that he's going to make, you know, good decisions like all these guys do out of the building to protect themselves, and uh, he's taking that seriously, so. I'm saying if, if, we're, if we're going in the playoffs – Lamar goes in the bubble, officially in the bubble. Right, right. I mean, that's I, – I do think that, like, there has been questions from, I think, people, as you've seen outbreaks in baseball, and you're like, well, why doesn't the NFL do what, what basketball is doing? And just, you know, for that's, that is a major undertaking in terms of people, cost, and then just life sacrifice that everyone would have to make. If you were to go into a bubble basically August 1 till the end of a season, I mean, you're yeah. talking about – hundreds you're talking about thousands of people not seeing families for an entire you know six months that's that is a major major sacrifice when you take it into account players coaches staff members everyone so i understand why the nfl isn't going into the bubble from day one but yeah i think that you're right maybe if you get into a playoff situation maybe that things change, <laughs> things change a little bit right yeah it's it's, it's all very interesting I, I will say that the ravens are i mean it's interesting to see just how much they've poured into this the effort you know, just in the hours spent figuring all this out, the best way to do it. You know, the money, obviously, with these proximity devices and all this stuff. It's it's really impressive. T- it says something about America, how much you want football, right? <laughs> I, mean, I wish we had these resources in our schools right now. <laughs> um, I mean, whew, we're pulling out all the stops to have football, which I'm, I'm happy about. I'm happy about. Right. Um, but anyway, that's that's another topic for another day. All right, thank you for listening. As always, you can reach us at thelounge at ravens.nfl.net. We'll be back with you next week with a very intriguing guest who there's been a lot of chatter about this offseason, wide receiver Miles Boykin. So he's going to be a big player uh, for the Ravens this year and uh, kind of taking that offense to another level. So make sure you tune in for that next week. Thanks for listening.